Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. I sent out a text yesterday on the text account where I send out things we're working on. And yesterday it was about Deshaun Watson. And I got bombarded by more than 150 responses with the far majority of the women who responded saying they are completely done with this team. I think this Deshaun Watson thing is not over. I don't know how the Browns can continue with it. This is a story that continues to explode. It's Today in Ohio, the news podcast discussion from Cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer. I'm Chris Quinn. I'm here with Lisa Garvin, Laura Johnston, and Layla Tassi. And can you believe how this thing just keeps growing and growing? The, the Browns made possibly the worst football decision in the history of football. Yeah, I do believe it. I do believe that this keeps growing, and I, I hope it does continue to grow for them. They deserve it. They deserve to have the worst season that they've ever had. They're Browns. I think the NFL might have to step in because they're going to lose way too many female fans. This is such a strong sentiment. And and say the Houston Texans negotiated in bad faith, we're negating the whole deal or something because this just can't continue. It's going to damage the entire NFL. The New York Times report that showed that the Texans were complicit in giving him non-disclosure agreements to give to his massage therapist so they couldn't file complaints against him when he did sleazy things. And it's really sinister stuff that the team was involved in. Uh, it's just, it's one of those that just keeps going and going. And Mary Kay Cabot continues to do strong reporting on it. And how will the Haslam's respond to that? Are they comfortable? Are they com- Are they still comfortable? Oh, how, my God. That was say, such a bad term. How do you say using. you're comfortable without ever having talked to a single woman who made the allegations? And they said, we couldn't. Well, the NFL can. The NFL's been talking to them left and right. I don't buy it. How do you get comfortable? I, that was, by the way, Layla, that was a common theme in the texts I got from women yesterday. They're really seizing on how they got comfortable without doing any kind of yeah. genuine investigation. It's a really strong sentiment. But that's not what we're here to talk about today. (laughs) Let's go. The Ohio Supreme Court rejected a challenge to the legislature over COVID health restrictions. Members of the legislature, though, were the ones trying to get rid of health restrictions. So this is just an odd one to me. What did the people suing, including some from Greater Cleveland, want? And what did the court say, Laura? Sort this out for us. This is a weird one. And Laura Hancock delved into it, and she found a lot of issues with this lawsuit, including the fact that the plaintiffs, who represented themselves, by the way, not attorneys, uh, referenced the wrong bill number. So I, I do think they're a little misguided in suing the legislature, who felt exactly the same way as them, who didn't want restrictions. And they didn't file the suit until October of last year. Well, well, like more than a year after all of these restrictions had ended, which seems bizarre to me. So they argued that since March 2020, that Ohioans had their constitutional rights violated through requirements to wear masks, get their temperatures taken, get vaccines, undergo contact tracing, all the things they complained about over and over again. And they're saying that part of the Ohio Constitution actually put in while they were debating Obamacare said that 
the no federal, state, or local law shall compel directly or indirectly any person, employer, or healthcare provider to participate in a healthcare system. So basically, they're saying the legislature should have seen this coming and written a law to preempt any kind of restrictions from taking place. And it's bizarre. I mean, it's just, I mean, and the legislature did do that. I mean, they did pass laws to block DeWine from instituting them. It just seems like they, they sued the wrong people and they were suing to have legislation written at which the Supreme Court said is preposterous, right? right? They said we can, and this is what really gets me, Chris, is that all of them agreed. We got all of the Supreme Court justices to agree on something <laughs> that they said, we don't have the power to force the legislature to write any kind of law. So, I mean, well, they don't even have moot. the power to force the legislature well, yeah, to obey the law. Very different point that is not addressed in this opinion, but yes. Yeah, it's a, it's just a wacky lawsuit that it's amazing. It goes all the way to the Ohio Supreme Court. And you're right. The unanimity is interesting. It's like if we can't get these guys to obey the law, how are we going to get them to write the law? Yeah. And I don't I mean, 10 people sued. A lot of them were from Northeast Ohio. I don't really see what they were hoping to achieve at this point, especially so far after the restrictions ended. Like, what did they want out of this? Were they Strongsville residents? That's where you have this pocket There's of There's one like... Rocky River resident, actually. <laughs> and I was like, wait, wait here. So, um, yeah, I don't, this this is not happening. And I, when I first saw this, I thought we were going to actually get something more substantive out of it. But no. Okay, moving on. You're listening to Today in Ohio. Cleveland's recent history in its health department has been controversial with a good bit of turnover and many failures, particularly with regard to lead paint. Has Mayor Bibb just come up with a winner in his selection for public health director? Layla, it's a doctor. Yeah, by, by many accounts, this is a pretty, pretty solid choice for, for health director. Bibb has tapped Metro Health's Dr. David Margolius for the job. He is Metro Health's current division director of internal medicine. He's also an associate professor at Case Western Reserve School of Medicine and co-lead for the Medical Director Leadership Institute at Harvard Medical School Center for Primary Care. He's also a published researcher. His work on the COVID-19 response in underserved communities, the opioid crisis, and hypertension in low-income populations, among other topics, has appeared in peer-reviewed journals. He earned his medical degree from Brown University. He completed his residency in internal medicine at University of California, San Francisco, where he also served one year as chief resident of quality improvement and patient safety. He's been at Metro Health since 2015. All around, I mean, this seems like another really good addition to Bibb's bench at City Hall. And you're right, there's been lots of trouble in the health department over the years. So um, hopefully this is uh, this is going to be the start of, of a new chapter for the health department. You would think this is a signature role in Northeast Ohio to be Cleveland's public health director. But the Jackson administration really continued to fumble. And it really it went back. Remember, they were missing deadlines for grants. Yeah, for that's right. That was really that that really did jeopardize their their. I mean, back in the day, that's kind of what triggered all of the uh, the investigations that the plane dealer undertook was noticing uh, that they were missing all that those grant deadlines for money to to address lead uh, lead in the housing stock, and yeah, that was a that was a real red flag, real real problem in the in the health department, and yeah, go what, ahead. Well, well, what do you think it is that about the Bibb administration that could attract a seemingly A plus candidate that the Jackson administration could <laughs> well, not get? I mean, what do you was, think it is? 
<laughs> you, you just don't think they felt like they were going to get supported I, by the Jackson I, administration? I just think that Bibb brings that energy. I mean, I, I think Bibb has, he came into office on kind of a tidal wave of, of new energy. He is a completely different kind of leader. And I think people are still willing to get behind that. And, and nobody, you know, I think that we, we've seen there are quite a few members of his cabinet that that are a plus. So that, you know, I think that we go have ahead. we haven't seen this since Mike White became mayor, yeah. really. I mean, the, a, a wave of seriously high quality people that want to serve in government. It's a refreshing change from <laughs> two decades. I know. I know it really is. I think there was sort of a no, sense that go. that Jackson's Jackson's time in office had run out and it had become very stale and who was going to give up whatever career they were building to come work work there, you know. Uh, you know, I was talking to Courtney yesterday about about whether the Cleveland should have a two-term limit because Mike White's third term was not good. It was bad. You can make a very strong argument that that Jackson well you, you I don't think anybody would doubt that Jackson's fourth term was useless. You could question whether his third term was very good. He did get the income tax passed and he got the schools supported. But what if every eight years you had a new, uh, an, another new wave like this? Would the city be better off? That's a really good question. I, I, I Yeah. I mean, yeah. We do it with the president. I mean, that's true. That's true. You know, I just, but Bib, I, I just don't think these long-term things. That's work. true. I mean, Bib, Bib is exceptional in a lot of ways. His youth and his his uh, his background com- coming from you know the the nonprofit where he had uh, you know he worked on issues that were specific to mid-sized cities, and he has that knowledge of what other cities are doing to solve the problems that are similar to what Cleveland faces. I mean, I think. I think people have a lot of faith in in his ideas, and so at least for the time being, at least for this honeymoon phase, people are willing to sign up for that. But in eight years, we don't know. Failed. Yeah, who so knows? Maybe, who knows? Yeah, it's yeah. yet to be seen. So we'll see. You're listening to today in Ohio. Lisa gets the talker of the day. Is Jimmy Demora getting out of prison anytime soon? With his resentencing Wednesday, after a couple of counts were dropped against him. He's getting out a bit earlier, but certainly not in this decade. So U.S. District Judge Sarah Leoy knocked five years off Jimmy Demore's 28-year sentence for bribery. His release date will now be in 2031. It was originally going to be February 2036. He did get four years off for good behavior. So Demore's attorney, Philip Kushner, says he's glad for the reduction, but he wished it was more. He really wanted like a decade knocked off or to have Demore released due to failing health and he is in bad health. He's diabetic. He has a heart defect. He's in a wheelchair most of the time. He had a stroke while he was in prison. I guess he's going to turn 67 in just a couple of days now. He did join the hearing uh, via teleconference from the federal prison where he's being held in in Devons, Massachusetts. He's in a, a medical unit right now. He didn't say much. He just answered yes or no questions. And so, you know, he didn't have much to say. But, you know, Demora was resentenced by Judge Lugoy after the Supreme Court of the United States clarified bribery laws. So two of the 32 convictions against DeMora were dropped, and these had something to do with uh, his dealings with contractor Nicholas Zavarella, who... uh, 
built a retaining wall in an outdoor kitchen at Demora's house for free. You know, what amazes me about this is I was talking to one of our criminal justice team yesterday is I think Jimmy Demora would have been released yesterday or maybe released in a year if he had just said, I'm sorry. This is a guy who has steadfastly said, I did no wrong. And he clearly did wrong. And if he went in and said, you know, Judge Leoy, I've had a lot of time to think about it in prison because you've sentenced me there. And you're right. I, I did wrong by the people of Cuyahoga County. I'm sorry. I believe I've atoned for it. I shouldn't have done what I did. She wanted to see remorse. Instead, this stubborn guy keeps saying, I didn't do anything wrong. I didn't do anything wrong. And he'll probably die in prison because of that. I was saying that. the same thing in the newsroom yesterday. I mean, I have like a sliver of sympathy for the dude. And I mean, I can't really explain why, but I, I just can't believe his lack of contrition. And that annoys the heck out of me. And so I, I guess just leave him in prison because just admit what you did and apologize and start just I just can't I can't believe the hubris here. It's, it's astounding to me. Well, it's it's self-sacrifice. I mean, he will not he could be a free man if even if he didn't get out yesterday. I believe she would have cut it. He would have been out in a year or two. But he's the one guy who just kept saying, I did nothing wrong. The only thing I do disagree with that came up yesterday, she said his his crimes were more insidious than Frank Russo's. That's total BS. Frank Russo corrupted the entire property assessment system to pocket a million dollars. That is far, far worse than anything Jimmy DeMora did. But Frank Russo ultimately apologized and accepted that he had done wrong and expressed his remorse so he didn't die in prison he got and released. Fr- instead jimmy demora kind of acts like he is the victim of a corrupt culture <laughs> you know this is just the way yeah. it was back then and i went along with it you know i just i, I can't believe it you want you want out you got to at least admit you know own up to it dude god i can't believe it There's no doubt he was a criminal. There's no doubt that what he led, that entire criminal enterprise, we did that story that described it as a giant corruption machine. He ran it. I mean, the reason contractors who are honest didn't bid for jobs in Cuyahoga County is because they wouldn't pay to play. It depressed the entire region. What all of those 60 guys did was reprehensible. He led that. So for him to sit back and say that's the way business was done is ridiculous. But it's just even if he feels that way, just apologize. (laughs) He would be out. You know, it's just anyway, amazing story. Um, and I, he can appeal, but I, I don't see that getting anywhere. Judge Leoy has been very firm about wanting to see remorse. It's Today in Ohio. Shipping can make or break a sale, so optimize how you ship your orders with ShipStation. They make it easy to automate and manage orders no matter how big your business grows. And they might even be able to help reduce shipping and warehouse costs. So optimize and keep up your momentum for growth with ShipStation. Sign up for your free 60-day trial now at ShipStation.com and use the code P-O-D. That's ShipStation.com with the code P-O-D. With legislative districts in Ohio now in place for this year's elections, elections boards are formalizing the ballots. There's an odd matchup in Cuyahoga County that has some party officials trying to bigfoot the situation. Laura, what did Andrew Tobias find? 
This is a great story from Andrew and really interesting about the inner workings of the Democratic Party in Cuyahoga County. But both state representatives Monique Smith and Bride Rose Sweeney are filed to run in the 16th House District. That's a Democratic-leading district that includes the West Shore suburbs of Bay Village, North Olmsted, Olmsted Falls, Olmsted Township, and Westlake, as well as Berea. And that's because it's because of redistricting, not because they were specifically put in this together, but because they were going to face really strong Republicans in their previous districting. So they both moved into the 16th district into family homes, and they're both blaming each other for how they're ending up facing off and basically saying, I said I was going to do this. The Democratic Party is siding with Bride Rose Sweeney here, saying we thought Smith was going to run in the 17th. We thought she still could, and they encouraged her to do so. But I think that window closed on Monday. So there was some maneuvering in the background, right, to try and get this to sort out, because that's what the Democratic Party does in Cuyahoga County. It doesn't want contests. It wants to ordain who gets gets elected. This is kind of exciting. We have a real contest. (laughs) We do have a real contest. And it means, though, that their 17th district has no contest, basically, that that'll be a, a sweep for Tom Patton. But I think that was that was their fear that that was going to happen anyway, even though it is considered a, a I think, a slightly Republican leaning that it could be a toss up district. But, um, yeah, so you have them kind of swinging at each other, saying Smith is saying Bride Sweeney is pressuring me to step aside so she can have the district I filed in. And it's heartbreaking. Makes me feel like I'm not valued by my caucus. Obviously, Sweeney's got her dad, Marty Sweeney, um, as kind of this influential power player. And she says, I I went where I thought it was make made the most sense. And now. Um, Monique has fallen into the Republicans' trap. So you've got some some backbiting here. I question whether Marty Sweeney has that much pull that he couldn't get this fixed. If he had all that pull, this would have been fixed. Although he has had pull in the slush funds, so I guess there is some pull. Interesting. One other thing that that Andrew found that's really interesting, the 15th House District, that's projected Democratic-leading toss-up district, Brooklyn, Broadview Heights, and Seven Hills. Republicans have failed to field a candidate because their recruited choice, Shea Hawkins, opted to run for Congress instead. So some surprises here. I mean, this... This might make the fall a little bit more interesting. And remember, we are talking about an August primary. This is the only thing that's going to be on the ballot, the legislative races for the Ohio House because um, and Senate, I believe, because they couldn't get it done in time for May. Right. And who's going to vote in August? Everybody's in summer mode. So this will be a get out the vote election. And it's like August 2nd, right? I mean, like you're not even thinking it's August yet by that point. Your mind is still in July. So, right. yeah, it'll be interesting. It's Today in Ohio. We've talked in the past about how former Mayor Frank Jackson did not just talk about the street, he lived it. What's the sad news that drives that fact home again this week? Layla, this is just awful stuff. This is another really sad chapter in the the Jackson family story. Back in, in September, listeners will remember that Frank Jackson's grandson, Frank Q. Jackson, was lured to an area in the Kinsman neighborhood with this false story about picking up a dirt bike and and there uh, where Frank Q was waiting on the side of a house. A gunman walked around a corner and fired several gunshots at close range and left him dead beside the dirt bike. And Robert Shepard is the accused gunman in that case. Well, now Frank Q Jackson's nephew, 19-year-old Donald Jackson Gates, is accused of carrying out a retaliatory shooting in his uncle's name 
He's charged with aggravated murder and accused of killing 20-year-old Krishan Coleman, who is the nephew of Robert Shepard. Coleman was shot to death around 3.15 a.m. May 14th on Quincy Avenue in the city's central neighborhood. Officers found Coleman on the front steps of a building shot multiple times all around, all over his body. All involved are believed to be part of different sects of the No Limit 700 gang. This gang has been at the heart of police investigations that stem back to the August 2019 shooting of Antonio Parra outside a barbershop in the Stockyards neighborhood. And, you know, everyone probably remembers that the getaway car in Parra's shooting was registered to Frank Hugh Jackson. And we all remember how homicide investigators descended on Mayor Jackson's home looking for his grandson. And Frank Hugh Jackson later told police he sold that car before the shooting. And the car was found torched in that abandoned uh, lot in Cleveland. But all of those events eventually led up to Frank Hugh's killing. And here we are today with another member of the Jackson family, as you said, Chris, a casualty of the street. Well, and he came to the attention of the public before, right, with the money on the driveway and, yeah. the, and the gun. I mean, this is somebody, I mean, he was on Jackson's driveway while a police officer sat across the street fanning a gigantic roll yeah. of bills and, I believe, a weapon. Um, it's just, it, it's one of those. I don't think you have another place in America where the mayor's family is embroiled in the gun violence that is really hitting American cities right, right now. And the fact that, you know, his his members, his family members were living under his roof in, in some cases like this, and, and uh, he could not, he was grappling so mightily with it, both in his own household and in the city, uh, is so telling of how how big and how unwieldy and, and vexing the problem is. Um, you know, it, it troubled yeah. him until the very end of his time in, in office. Yeah, he's likely to lose another grandson over it. You're listening to Today in Ohio. Let's do something a little more uplifting, Lisa. The Northeast Ohio Sewer District is offering $1.5 million for projects that help cut back on rainwater damage. What are they looking for? They're looking for green infrastructure, Chris. So at a recent board meeting, they agreed to offer $1.5 million in grants for these kinds of projects in the year 2023. And this would be for the city of Cleveland and nine suburbs that are part of the sewer district. And that includes Lakewood, Brooklyn, Newburgh Heights, Garfield Heights, Cuyahoga Heights, Shaker Heights, Cleveland Heights, East Cleveland, and all of Lindale. So these grants would typically go to cities, nonprofits, or even some private businesses. But they're going to have a workshop on June 24th at their Watershed Stewardship Center in Parma. And they want interested participants to come and they'll tell them, you know, what they're looking for and, and what kind of, you know, guidance they need. The grants will be typically reimbursement for work that's already been done for design, construction, or both. Now, they did award the same amount for this year, and they've spent about $10 million overall trying to reduce stormwater runoff and in the last 10 years or so they've reduced runoff by 32.5 million gallons if you want to visualize that that's 75 football fields with one foot of water across them so some of the projects they're looking at are like green roofs uh, bioretention permeable pavement which we've seen at the west side market parking lot rainwater harvesting which is going on at the cleveland dog kennel and mitchell's ice cream so yeah they're they're trying to keep storm water from running off you know, and, and out of the watershed. 
And part of the problem here is back in the day when they were installing all these systems, they had cross connections between the sanitary sewer, what goes through your sink or your toilets, and the rainwater systems. And if they can reduce the amount of rainwater going into the system, it reduces the flushing of sewage during hard rainstorms into Lake Erie, where our colleague Laura Johnston swims regularly. <laughs> right. I knew that, and, I knew that and, was coming. And, <laughs> and, and Edgewater is always closing because of, you know, high bacteria levels. So yeah, this would help keep the beaches open and, and safer for swimmers and recreation people. Yeah, we were talking before the podcast, swimming in that lake probably is what keeps Laura from getting COVID. She's just got a hyperactive <laughs> immune system from all the bacteria. Interesting stuff. I, you know, it, it makes you feel like, Lisa, that we should all rip out our driveways and put in permeable pavement to be, to be part of the solution. Well, and I'd love to do that. One of my neighbors has like a gravel or like a stone driveway. And I said, how on earth does that get plowed every winter? Yeah. <laughs> well, and I wonder what the city code is, right? Because I don't even know if you're allowed to just put in a gravel driveway in a lot of cities. And I've had my rain barrel for years and years now. Huge fan. But um, yeah, so anything we can do to encourage cities and, and everyone to think more about how to keep keep the lake clean, keep a, the rainwater there i think that's good gives you more swim days you're <laughs> listening to today in ohio what is the latest foodie show for cleveland native michael simon Lar johnston he's one of the most famous people in cleveland and he keeps coming up with new ideas for food shows yeah so we're talking barbecue or really bbq to go with usa that's the name of the show is bbq usa and michael simon's going to be traveling all across the country to go to barbecue festivals and talk to the pit and grill masters who devote their lives to this different styles of barbecue all over probably the south i've got to say is probably the most places he's going to be but then that'll be a show and i'm sure people will watch it yeah, it's always fun to have Cleveland get on the map for arts and culture, which we do Even frequently. if we're not really known for barbecue. I mean, obviously, Michael Simon has Mabel's and it's very popular, but you're not. people are not talking about Cleveland barbecue the same way they talk about Texas or North Carolina. Well, well and Cleveland barbecue has sauce on it. I mean, t- we Texans would be horrified <laughs> if there's sauce on our ribs. Come on. But all, there's also, that's the point of the show, right? All sorts of different areas have different styles of barbecue and there are sauce in in some of the styles and you know regions that's how they do it so i guess we'll get to know about that if you watch bbq usa and lisa you prefer what you ate in texas oh yeah and that's what i like about mabel's because it's texas style it's what they call a dry rub and you the sauce is on the side there you go okay you're listening to today in ohio One of Armin Budish's first ideas as a county executive was setting up a microgrid to attract business. And it sounded like a great idea, but of course, in typical Armin Budish fashion, he tried to force it and he had to work with partners and they didn't like the way that went. We haven't heard much about that in recent years, but county microgrids are suddenly back in the news. Layla, please explain that. Yeah, we haven't heard about this in a little while. I think the last development was back in September when the county took the the first the necessary step of creating its own utility department to to create that infrastructure. But this week, the county released a request for information seeking technical, commercial, and legal frameworks that would support the development of a municipal electric utility and multiple microgrids throughout Cuyahoga County. So they're starting this ball rolling again, finally, and and Budish has signaled a commitment of of six hundred thousand dollars of federal ARPA money to this effort. Not sure 
how far that would go. Maybe that would buy them a consultant or something. <laughs> but uh, what Budish wants here is a super reliable power grid that won't lose power for more than five minutes in a year. County documents say that level of re- reliability with power on 99.999% of the time is is the industry standard for advanced manufacturing. The county's request for information focuses on industrial and commercial entities, but the project would eventually serve residential areas with, with the same reliability standards. And the way this model would work is a developer operator would be responsible for building out power lines and related infrastructure, and then it would serve as the business's day-to-day energy provider with the microgrid providing a backup energy supply when there are outages. The county has said that this locally generated electricity will be a whole lot cleaner and minimize utility downtime. The county wants respondents to this request for information to estimate you know, the cost of their project, how they'd secure it from cyber attacks, when it would be completed, yada, yada, yada. So yeah, first time we've heard about this in a while. It's, they've been kind of silent. Well, what's sad is, is he's been county executive now for seven and a half years. It, it, it is a good it idea. I, I do think it would work for economic development, but he's running out of time. Very much so. And <laughs> yeah, so what happens, I, I guess he's going to have to count on his successor to carry this ball because they're spending money on it now. I would hate to, to feel like they're wasting it. Yeah, that. I agree. But you're right. If for, for Especially for business districts, you know, the, the, they're talking about areas around Cleveland Hopkins International Airport, uh, you know, the future site of Sherwin-Williams, uh, the f- former Brooklyn site of American Greetings, you know, places like that. I think that this this is a good model. But tick-tock goes the clock on the Buddhist administration so, you know, handing this project off to the next is, uh, you know, how, how will that baton be handed off? I, I don't know. We should ask the two candidates running if they would continue That's that. That's a good question. To try and get them on the record now. Because you'd hate to see this fail. This is a good idea. We should get behind good and innovative ideas. It's a shame it took this long to get there. You're listening to Today in Ohio, and that's it for the Thursday discussion. Thanks, Lisa. Thanks, Laura. Thanks, Layla. Lisa, we made it through without any hammering on your house. That's a good thing. Thank everybody for listening. We'll be back on Friday to wrap up a week of the news. 